Hi, Will McCormick. Hey. Hey, Tony G. <laughs> totally no nonsense start to the episode today. Uh, we just, we cannot get off to a hot start. Like no. We, we get ready to record and then we just talk about stuff and we joke about stuff, but that's okay though because it's like, our, yeah. this is like our escape time. Like there's no mm-hmm. school involved in the making of the Tony G show. No. Absolutely none whatsoever. So it's like all us, we get to take a break, take a breather and just kind of focus on... Mm-hmm. On ourselves and our sports talk. Special episode today, kind of. I mean, you know, always... It's, it's Every episode is special. Yeah, every episode is very good. I mean, we're one of the better podcasts to ever be invented ever, especially in the realm of sports talk. But I do have to say a very happy birthday to someone who we have dubbed as the janitor of Tony G Studios this year mm-hmm. in my roommate, Christian. Yeah, happy birthday, Christian. Christian. Is, uh, someone who's been on the show before. That was years ago. He was, uh, I think that was like the first season. Really? He was a baseball player. I was a baseball player. And I thought, you know, we, we were good friends. Met mm-hmm. on the first day of school, like move-in day. And ever since then, our friendship has grown. It's his birthday today, as That's of awesome. the day of this recording. What is it? The 12th? April 12th? Happy birthday, Christian. Also, I want to say congratulations to a friend of mine, a friend of the show, former professor of mine. Assistant basketball coach for the St. Norbert College men's basketball team, one Mr. Corey Shishelchik. Congratulations to him and his wife, Nicole, on their baby boy, Corey. Now, Corey is spelled different. Corey is the one I'm congratulating, but the son's name is Corey. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, you know, I'm not going to get into how you spell the name. I'm not going to get, I don't, I, I don't have permission to be doing this. You know, yeah. I always feel kind of weird on if people want this to be announced, but they have announced it publicly via their social medias. That's how I've heard about this. And so... Uh, you know, Corey hasn't been around campus because he's busy being a father. Yeah. So I haven't been able to congratulate him. I figured I'd do it here on the podcast. Again, though, I'm not going to give away too much information <laughs> because it's like I don't know if I have permission to even be saying this. But I do want to congratulate him. He's a good man. He's a good coach. And someone who I can only imagine is going to be a good father as well, aligning with the rest of his involvements around St. Norbert College and how I met him. So with those bits of bookkeeping out of the way, what do you say we preview today's show? Let's get into it. Because we have a good one. I have a lot, a lot to get into, especially with this first segment. There's drama in the Brewers-Cubs series that just portook, portrayed, por- participated over the weekend. <laughs> just got played over the weekend. Brewers-Cubs. words work. I mean, I don't think any of them did, to be honest with you. I think I just wiped the slate clean with the yeah. words. But either way... Drama over the weekend in this in this Brewers Cubs series over the weekend. So I am going to break down everything from what I saw there. Got into a little Twitter beef as well. I mm-hmm. won't get into specifics and you know shine attention on my enemies. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, so there's a whole bunch of drama. We'll break that down in segment number one. Segment number two is firing Frank Vogel really the right response for the Lakers after the season they just had. I'm going to argue yes, but it's a hesitant Ooh. yes. There's a couple of reasons that factor into him getting fired, but I'll break it all down segment number two. And segment number three, the Masters. A winner of the Masters, not who I had picked, but we will break down the, the winner of the Masters and then uh, looking at Tiger Woods and maybe previewing the rest of his career. I, he looked pretty good. He didn't finish anywhere towards the top in the Masters, but we'll talk about that in segment number three. So Brewers-Cubs series, Frank Vogel and the Lakers, and then the Masters. That's our show today. He is Will McCormick, available at Willis5312 on Twitter. I'm Tony G, available at Tony G Nation on Twitter. Check out more from the Tony G Show at TonyGNation.com. Is that it? That's it. That's it? Yep. Okay. 
Well, I guess. Intro? Now. You are listening to the eighth and final season of the Tony G Show. Eight seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. Easter's right around the corner, Will. Anything planned? I, I think I think we've discussed this and you're out for Thursday show. Mm-hmm. I'm packed on Thursday, so Tony G Nation, just keep, keep tabs if the episode comes out Thursday or Friday, whenever I get time, because I'm really packed Thursday. But... Other than that. Yeah, not, nothing really. I'm just going home. I'm going to spend a couple days at home and come back and spend Saturday with the family. And I'll probably be on campus by Sunday or maybe even Saturday night. We'll see. Really? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. That early? We used to spend, like, uh, Easter we used to spend with family in Florida. And then after college we stopped doing that. Hmm. And haven't really, like, celebrated Easter the same. I don't get an Easter basket anymore. So Aww. I know, it's sad. Dad, but, Dad always brings over an Easter basket for me. Oh, that's the best. And I try to pick out the candy as quick as I can and give the basket to him so that it's not just sitting with me. Oh, yeah. You know. Like the actual wicker, <laughs> yeah. like the physical basket. gets all over the place and it's like, all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. Easter right around the corner. What about you? Any fun plans? Uh, no, not really. No. Family Good dinner. And, or I suppose family brunch on Sunday. Other than that, just uh, watching a lot of baseball. There you go. Yeah. Speaking of baseball. Brewers baseball, over the weekend, played the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs, in Chicago. It was a four-turned-three game series between the I-94 rivals. Friday's game got rained out, which brings up the question to start off here. Why is the, the opening series between Milwaukee and Chicago being held at Wrigley and not at American Family Field? Miller Park. Miller Park. Why is it not being held at the stadium with the retractable roof? Mm-hmm. Instead... Wrigley is so great and so glorious that let's go have the first series, you know, opening day there. We have to have all, all every game of that series was scheduled for one twenty in the <laughs> afternoon. All right, because they don't like night games over there at Wrigley. Listen, I don't know if you can tell by my tone early on in this segment, but this is not going to be a very pro Chicago Cubs discussion. I got a bone to pick with the Cubs. So let's get into that right now. Even though the Cubs took two of three, they won five to four, won nine to nothing on Saturday, and then the Brewers bested them five to four on Sunday. Give it to them; they took two or three. Mm-hmm. The Brewers aren't doing very good right now. We'll talk about that later. But the drama between these two teams in this series came in Game One. Well, at least started in Game One, as Wilson Contreras was hit by a pitch in the seventh inning. Okay, Wilson Contreras is someone who has gotten hit a lot over the course of his career, and specifically by the Milwaukee Brewers. Here's the thing. He was hit in this situation in the seventh inning of a game that's tied 3-3. to He comes around to score, Cubs lead 5-3, but at the time it's tied Mm -hmm. in the seventh inning, late in the ballgame. Here's my beef with this particular hit-by-pitch situation. Is I get he's been hit by the Brewers a lot, but right when he gets hit, he starts, you know, chirping and he, Mm -hmm. he shows that he's a little agitated by it. And I get it. You've been you've been hit a lot by the same team over the course of your career. That's whatever. Just take your base and go to first. Yeah. Like it's we we are in this era and I I'm not going old man shaking fist at the sky moment here. But we're in this era where if you get hit by a pitch, you stare down the pitcher and you give them attitude and you start chirping, just take your base. I mean, this isn't just a major league baseball thing. Mm-hmm. This is happening all over the place. 
if you get hit by a pitch, just take the base. Don't stare down the pitcher. You know, if you think it's intentional, that's one thing. But in a situation where the game is tied, yeah. in a situation where it's late in the ball game, in a situation where you know both teams are trying to win. I mean, this is a rivalry game. I mean, this isn't just something yeah. where it's like a mid-game between you know, the, the Brewers and Diamondbacks in July. I mean, this is like opening day. Both teams are trying to win against their, their rivals. And the Cubs pull this crap where they think they're in the right because the Brewers have hit Wilson Contreras a lot. Well, you know, here's the thing. Wilson Contreras is known over the course of his career for not just not moving out of the way of pitches when they're close, mm-hmm. but for leaning in. I mean, yeah. there is a highlight video of Wilson Contreras against the Brewers in Milwaukee where there's a pitch kind of up and in, and he he visibly, I mean, yeah. it is obvious if you watch it, sticks his elbow pad out there. You know, he's got the pad on the elbow, and he sticks his elbow out there to try to get hit by the pitch and go to first base. It's like he has had a reputation of doing that over the course of his career anyways, mm-hmm. let alone against the Brewers, a team that he has been hit a lot. It's yeah. a fact of the matter. He's been hit a lot, sure. But then he's got to go play this whole drama queen thing where he's Wilson Contreras and he's going to be the big bad man who takes down the Brewers. Now, you know, his point is made. You know, it's kind of like with a sour taste in my mouth that I mentioned this because he comes around to score, turns out to be the one, two winning runs in that inning. You know, it was tied 3-3. They had the lead 5. It was tied 3-3, had the lead 5-3 after he was hit by a pitch and they won 5-4. to four. Right. So it turned out to be well, a pretty impactful moment. But that's just my point. The Brewers were not trying to hit him in exactly. that moment. But yet he's got to show that he is not happy with it. He's got to show that you know he has some beef with the Brewers. He's got to show that he's this drama queen and wants attention. Yeah, that's that, where I have the problem. Right. That's not the Brewers' intent to hit him there. No. And every Cubs fan in the nation believes that Brewers are intentionally trying to take him out. And But, but again, it's not like the Brewers are trying to hit him to injure him or, or, or whatever it may be. Seventh inning, tied 3-3. The intent there is not to intentionally hit somebody and let them walk a base. That's well, he, not. You know, this is what I said in the moment. I posted on Twitter, and this is where the Twitter beef comes in for Tony G. Mm-hmm. Is because I said that this wasn't intentional. It's not like they tried and they went out with the plan. Okay, here's the situation. You know, we're tied three three, but let's go ahead and put this guy on yeah. to extend the inning. And hit him because we because we like hitting him with the. That, that, there's no logic there. It's a load of crap. So I tweeted that afterwards. I said, "Has Wilson Contreras ever just walked to first base after being hit by a pitch?" And then I concluded the tweet with. Get over yourself, guy. Hashtag opening day. Pretty solid tweet if I didn't mm-hmm. say to myself to my own torn here. But either way, <laughs> either way, had a lot of Cubs fans. I think four or five accounts that are pro-Cubs, either Cub fans or Cub-style pages where it's like Cubs Nation or whatever, mm-hmm. comes after me and says, you know, the, the Brewers have hit him so much over the course of his career. Yada, yada, yada. Wah, wah, wah. All I heard was that he's a drama queen, drama queen, drama queen. I'm not here to tell you that the Brewers haven't hit him a lot. I get it. The numbers are there. That they, Statistically, the Brewers have been the team that have hit Wilson Contreras with a lot of pitches. I get it. But Wilson Contreras already, the argument here is that he's not that respectable of a player anyways for actions of leaning out, for actions of being this confrontational guy, for actions of trying to be the popular one, or get the attention. I'm tired of them. Also, 14 times over seven years, that's not that many. Well, I think the argument is that, you know, over the course of his career, he's been hit a lot, and like 25 or 30% of them have come from Milwaukee or something like that. That's still a very low number. off my head. You know, you got to think about the 
scope of baseball, though. That like it's that's true. It's not common to get hit by a pitch, but it's you know not uncommon either. Like it's like that right. middle ground thing where you don't want it to happen, but it happens and whatever. Like the point here is he's just being a drama queen and, and letting it get to him. And if he just shuts up and walks to first base, none of this is ever a thing. Mm-hmm. But of course, he's got to be the guy with all the attention, has to get the spotlight. So this spirals into a two, three day thing, and it's still being talked about today, as is here with the Tony G show. Game two on Saturday. Remember, game one is rained out because it's we, we got to play at the lovely and majestic Wrigley Field. So Saturday, game two is getting played. Just about everybody in the lineup for both teams get hit, gets hit by pitches. Christian Yelich was hit by a pitch. Madrigal, Contreras, Ian Happ, and then Andrew McCutcheon were all hit by pitches. I think there was one or two more that I didn't include in that list. But here's the situation. Here's where the drama spiked in this game. Andrew McCutcheon was thrown at on a, I think it was 2-1 pitch. And what he did not like is the fact that he got started off with a cutter that was outside, outside part of the plate. So that's kind of a sign to the hitter that we're not going to throw at you. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like a sign like they're they're communicating that, but it's only it gives that impression that yeah. well, they're trying to pitch to me. They're they're going to make this a real at bat and not throw to me. McCutcheon's beef is if you're going to throw at me, do it first pitch. Mm. Hit me right away. Put me on first. Then I got no problem with it. Right. They wait till late in the count. They hit Andrew McCutcheon and McCutcheon's beef. He said this after the game. He was being asked by reporters, and I think Adam McCalvey. The beat writer for the Brewers uh, tweeted this, the video of him saying, you know, when he was in Pittsburgh and the the Pirates hit somebody, I think it was Paul Goldschmidt, and they broke his hand. You know, he's going to miss some time with a broken hand. So, of course, McCutcheon, being the guy that he is, a former MVP, is going to get it back. You hit our MVP, we're going to hit yours. Mm-hmm. So McCutcheon gets hit in the ribs, ends up breaking his ribs because it wasn't on the first pitch. It was an at-bat where he's, he has the impression that this is going to be a real at-bat, he's going to take real pitches, and then he gets 95, 96 up in the ribs, breaks his ribs. So if that happens on the first pitch, he can he can brace for it. He can ready himself for it, and then the, the chance of injury decreases. Right, he kind of puts his guard down. Exactly. Well, Or, or guard or up, up. If he thinks right. you know he's going to get plunked on the first pitch, he's ready for it, yeah. here it comes. So in that case, I completely side with Andrew McCutcheon there because mm-hmm. – the goal is to send a message. You hit me on the first pitch. You know, if, if you want to, if you want to play that game or you want to risk injuring me, put it on my ribs. All right. Yeah. Then that's going to happen. You know, to me in baseball, throughout baseball, if you're going to throw at someone, hit him in the backside. Well, hit him right in the rear end where there's a lot yeah. of padding. Do it first pitch so that he knows it's coming. Message is sent. Batter can go to first base. We'll continue. Mm-hmm. That team received your message. We got it. I, it's all right. all about, you're, not, you're not happy with something we're doing? We got it. Message sent, message received. Let's keep going. It's all about intent, really. I mean, Contreras was hit, what, by a slider? Um, I think I think it was Ooh. Ian Happ that was hit by the slider. Was it? There was someone who was hit with a breaking ball. Or I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking the first game. The first that, one? I don't remember. I do not remember. I think but, it was a fastball. Was it a fastball? Okay. I don't remember, though. But the top either way, like... In that situation, you know, it's it's totally different. We're just I'm comparing game one to game two, where it's like these intentional hits. It's it's all about intent, right? And I just think the way that going back to that game one, the way that was handled, it's it, it lit this whole fire. It really did. 
Speaking of intent, Wilson Contreras said after game two, because McCutcheon didn't like it, he was jawing back and forth with the pitcher Keegan Thompson, and you know Wilson Contreras, who was catching at the moment, got in between, and you know there was words being exchanged. Jason Hayward came in from center field, as washed as he is, and irrelevant to Major League Baseball as he is, came in from center field, like acting like he was something, and was shouting at Andrew McCutcheon, you know, get get over yourself, dude. Another one of those guys, but it's just like get over yourself. But so then benches cleared, things are getting, you know, there was no punches thrown, it wasn't a brawl, but there was a dust up, you know. Uh, both teams cleared, bullpens came in, and there was some jawing back and forth. So after the game, Wilson Contreras said, this isn't over yet. And I don't know if that means that there is plans for the future to hit mm-hmm. Andrew McCutcheon, to hit Christian Yelich, to hit some of the bigger bats, harder-hitting lineup-type guys in the Brewers' order, like Yelich or McCutcheon or whoever it may be. Yeah. But game three went smooth. There was no dust-up. There was no overwhelming hit-by-pitches where it's like they're throwing at me. There was nothing intentional there. But it makes me wonder for the future, what does that mean when Contreras said that, that this isn't over yet? Right. That there's more plans for the future? And what should that mean in terms of repercussions, too? Good question. Glad you asked. Great transition because Major League Baseball came out just yesterday and suspended the pitcher who hit Andrew McCutcheon, Keegan Thompson, suspended him for three games, and then manager David Ross for one game. Right. And and that all goes back to my whole conversation about intent, right? So we're talking about, you know, there's all these Cubs fans saying, why, you know, why aren't the Brewers pitchers getting suspended, blah, 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 and they're, like, totally blind to the fact that in that scenario, like, you're not intentionally trying to hit somebody, where with the Cubs, it, there was no point to it other than just to hit him. Exactly. It, it, it all comes to intent. You know, and that's the thing is that there's it's like that un, unspoken about rule in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, where if you're intending to hit someone, then it the, and I'm careful about how I want to say this because I don't just want to put it away like it's nothing. But right, if there's intent to hit someone, there's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, with the nature of the sport, you can throw at someone intentionally, and and have no suspensions, have no dust ups. There's a way to do that and send that message. And like I was saying, do it on the first pitch. Do it in an area that's not going to injure the batter, but get the message across to the other team. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I wouldn't have a problem right. if Contreras wasn't happy with it and, you know, they do whatever, you know, he's kind of unhappy, says something after the game, whatever happens. And then they come back and they plunk McCutcheon or Yelich. They do it in the backside, you know, the rear end, somewhere where there's a lot of padding, mm-hmm. not a lot of exposed bone in terms of not a lot of padding from the skin, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, if you do it that way, first pitch, let them know, okay, message is sent. You yeah. know, maybe give, just in the nature of the attitude in the moment, give that nasty look over to the to the bullpen or mm-hmm. the dugout and, hey, that was intentional. Yeah. You knock it off or things are going to get ugly. Which you'd expect. You'd expect that in a scenario. Exactly. And I'm okay with that style of intentional throwing. Don't do it up and in. Don't injure the guy. Mm-hmm. Don't waste pitches. And here's the thing with Keegan Thompson and that at bat with McCutcheon. He was obviously trying to throw at him. There was 92-mile-an-hour fastball that I think missed inside. McCutcheon had to get out of the way, and he was visibly unhappy with it, kind of you know, talking to himself. And then the next pitch, boom, he catches one. And that's when he's unhappy. And he said to Thompson, there you go. There you go. You did it. Congratulations. You know, Just kind of chirping him because mm-hmm. he missed him when he was intentionally throwing at him. He still missed him. But McCutcheon was saying, you know, you tried and you missed. You know, and that's why he was chirping him. But, I mean, like I said, there's a way to do that. There's yeah. a way to send messages. So let me, let me ask you then, what, what does it mean in terms of, you know, severity of, of um, potential repercussions if we have Contreras saying, this isn't over yet, and we come down, you know, a month later from now, and we're, we're seeing 
fastballs at the rib cage, somebody gets hurt, you know, wh- where do you see that going? Does is that does that have more severity? Does it have more weight to it because of the comments made now, or do you, or do you think that is kind of let go at that point? It's such a good question because it's the first series of the year. Yeah, I mean, it is the first three to four games of the season, and there's already this type of dust up. There's like fifteen. I think it's like 19 games a year division rivals play. So there's about 15, 16 games remaining between these two teams. Mm-hmm. That means that 15 times nine, I don't know the math off the top of my head, but there's almost like, what, 150 innings left to try and hit a batter to try and send that message across that if this happens at 135. Some point, 135. Not to mention extra innings or mm-hmm. double headers where games are going to be only seven innings or whatever. I don't know. That, I don't think they're doing that this year. But either way, you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of something's going to happen in these next yeah. couple of years. There's a lot of season left, right. or a couple series that there's a lot of potential mm-hmm. for things to spiral out of control, well, and someone's going to get injured if yeah. this, if this persists the rest again, of the season. And again, it it's all comes back to that whole conversation about intent. But there's not, you know, there's no Brewers saying this isn't over yet, like kind of implying that we're right. going to come after you. And and nor did they do that starting that game either. And that, and that all comes back to you know all those Cubs fans like raging about. Brewers pitchers needing to be, you know, suspended, and it's it's a totally different situation. Granted, if it's if it's, you know, if somebody goes, we're going to come after you, and then it happens, and it's like you said, in, in a manner that's just kind of unacceptable, then yeah, there there's punishment towards that. But it's all about how you how you go about it, really. Listen, I'm a baseball fan, and just because I'm from a Wisconsin market, I'm I want to make this clear. The Brewers have hit Wisconsin, or, uh, Wilson Contreras a lot mm-hmm. over the course of his career. It's happened. And if you're unhappy about it, you know, I, the Brewers deserve to be thrown at if you persistently hit another team. That's just the way baseball is. But within reason. That's yeah. my argument. Not to mention that the Brewers sucked that series. Okay, Each one of the big three uh, starting pitchers, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, all started their game, started their outings by walking the first batter they faced. Brandon Woodruff got touched up on. If you remember from last Thursday's episode, I said Brandon Woodruff is going to regress this year. Mm-hmm. His uh, fastball is just rec- decreasing. His command isn't what it used to be. I don't know that this is just a opening series jitter type of thing. You know, the Brewers always seem to do this. I think there was a stretch for like three straight years where the Brewers lost games by giving up 10 or more runs i mean mm-hmm. like it's just something that happens at the start of the season for the brewers but i think this is something that might persist for for woodruff i saw burns work through some struggles he kind of looked like he was shaking the rust off in game freddie peralta kind of looked like that but woodruff looked like someone who was outmatched by the cubs lineup and the cubs you know i gotta give it to them they're off to a good start this year but yeah. it's not a it's not a world beater lineup where it's like you are going through the gauntlet like the Yankees or the Dodgers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they have some guys who can hit, but they also have some guys who are kind of iffy, kind of inconsistent. It's a lineup you can beat. And Woodruff looked outmatched. I mean, Woodruff did not look the part in that game Saturday. So I think this is something that's going to persist for him through the course of this year for the Brewers. I don't, I don't want it to, of course, but I just think that it's, you know, if I'm looking at this objectively, mm-hmm. I think Brandon Woodruff regresses this year. He's gonna. He's probably going to get – if this persists this bad, he's going to get bumped to the bullpen. I don't know that it'll be that bad, but he's definitely a guy that I could see having a 4-5 or five earned run average or even higher. I think that's the minimum. That's his ceiling here is a 4-4-5 four to four, five earned run average. I think that's just 
the way it's going to be. Again, they don't want it to, but not to mention the offense for the Brewers is just stagnant, being shut out for the second time in four games yesterday. This one in Baltimore. I don't know. I don't know what the issue is at this point anymore. Because it's like they've added Thump. Hunter Renfro is like a 30 to 40 home run Mm -hmm. a season type of guy. Andrew McCutcheon has been a consistent hitter with one of the smoother swings in baseball over the last decade or so. They've added a catcher in Victor Caratini. I think it's a good hitting. Willie Adamas is going to be productive this year as well. It's not... I, I don't understand it because it's not like they don't have the star power to do it. You know, they have experienced hitters. They have versatile hitters but it's just like they cannot get a hit in a moment that it counts opening day they started seven of the nine innings offensively by getting the leadoff base runner on base seven of the nine innings the fact that you don't have five runs at least mm-hmm. is abysmal yeah and i think not to mention it... not to mention sorry before no, you do okay. not to mention some of those seven were extra base hits like right. a leadoff double a leadoff Double, a leadoff single. You know, it's like you're getting guys in scoring position. You got to get that hit to get them through, and they still, mm-hmm. it's a problem that's persisted since last year. Yeah, I think that just all ties back to your point that it seems that there's this trend of just a slow start for the Brewers. And maybe that's the case, and that might be the optimist in me saying that. I'm getting tired of it, I'll tell you that. Right. It, it is really irritating to watch. So we'll see how it pans out, but I think there is that they have a little bit to figure out yet, which isn't the worst thing in the world. It's better than realizing you have unfixable problems. You know, and they go make switches to the to the hitting coach position. I mean, they brought in two specialists of hitting, and still they are not producing at a rate that you need to. I mean, it's like I watch, I think Texas, the Texas Rangers are one of the better teams in Major League Baseball. I think they've had a lot of star power. They bought, they bought the contracts of Corey Seager and some big hitting guys, and they've grown and developed some some talent in the offensive line, lineup as well. Sunday, I saw that team fall behind. I think it was like 5 to nothing, 6 to nothing in Toronto. You know what the final score of that game was? Hmm. 12 to 6 the Rangers won. <laughs> yeah. It's with other teams, you know, the Cardinals are notorious for never giving up in a ball game. Cubs mm-hmm. too. Feisty hitters, fight off pitches. Disciplined hitters. I mean, that's what it takes to win at this level, and the mm-hmm. Brewers just do not have that. It's not like this is a team that is just getting unlucky bounces. I mean, there's that too, but it's more like this is a team that's not producing at the level that you need to to right. win games at this level of baseball. It's just it's something that has to get looked at. I mean, there there has to be different approaches. There, ha- I watched Christian Yelich strike out numerous times over the course of this last weekend, but there was one at bat in particular I remember just yesterday in Baltimore. I think it was an off-speed pitch down the middle, strike one. All right, I'll give it to you. I, I'm, I'm a fan of swinging first pitch, mm-hmm. but if you're going to take a breaking ball to start your at-bat, okay. Comes back. There's a couple balls in this sequence as well. It wasn't like a three-straight pitch strikeout, but there was a pitch where he took it right on the outside corner for a strike. Very swingable pitch. I mean, I think it was the fastball. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back with a breaking ball, takes strike three. I mean, he struck out. Again, there was a few balls in this sequence. I think it was like 1-2-2-2 count. But the three strikes that he took were all looking. Where is your aggressiveness? I mean, at some point, at some point, something's got to break where you think we got to start being more aggressive. We got to start trying to put balls the other direction or try to make some bigger. So I don't know what it is at that level that Mm -hmm. you need to hear in order to be more aggressive 
to be more diverse of hitters in your lineup, and to be more productive. I don't know what it takes, but but there are some worrisome things coming out of Milwaukee and the Brewers organization. It's a team I still think can win. They started 1-3 and three last year, and they won 95 more games. Mm-hmm. A lot of games to play. Yeah. A lot of games, a lot of seasons lot. left, but it's just frustrating because it cost them a deep run into the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's boiling into this season just gets to me. So that's where that comes from. Now with that, from me ranting about the Brewers, ranting about the Cubs mm-hmm. and baseball, let's switch the conversation to basketball. There was an interesting transaction personnel-wise in the league. You know, the NBA just concluded their regular season a couple days ago. And they're looking towards playoff season, you know, late April through May, and then early June will probably be the finals. So we're into postseason basketball time now. And the Los Angeles Lakers had a subpar year for the type of name power that they had. Mm-hmm. Not to mention their star player, their key player into the organization was LeBron James. Le GM. Who, <laughs> also, who doubles as the GM, who triples as, as some consider the greatest of all time basketball player. On a team with guys like Anthony Davis, with Russell Westbrook, with Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony. I mean, guys that you put on a roster, on paper, this should have been the like one of the better teams the Western Conference has ever fielded. Especially yeah. a Lakers team who's known for winning. And the fact that they finished 33-49, and 49, something was going to give. So they went ahead and fired Frank Vogel after this abysmal season where highlight reels came out of just... Poor play. I mean, mm-hmm. bad shooting, shots that aren't even close. I mean, it, it looked like low-level basketball being played. So they went ahead and fired Frank Vogel after this 33-49 and 49 season. Three years Vogel spent as the head coach. He won a total of 127-98, and 98, not to mention won the championship in 2020, that COVID year where they went to the bubble. Will McCormick makes the face. That. I knew exactly. I thought about it when yeah. I put it down to it was like a Mickey Mouse thing, but I don't want to get into whether it was a Mickey Mouse championship or not. It was. They won the the the. In finals. They got a ring. Mm-hmm. And with that all in mind, you knew that after the season, something was going to give, like I said. Mm-hmm. So was firing him the right response? I think it was. I don't. I you really don't think no. so. No. We, I want to hear your side, though. I wanna hear, I'm here, curious where you're coming from. I think after a season like that where you have talent. Now, he went over a lot of bumps in the road, and we'll get to that. But I think after a season like that where you are not performing, things are not going well, the fact that there was just no team chemistry, mm-hmm. something had to get – you need to start over. And I think a head coaching position is a good place to start to do that. Like I said, I think he should have been. They dealt with a lot. They dealt with injuries to LeBron and Anthony Davis, a lack of production from Dwight Howard, Austin Reeves, even Russell Westbrook had lackluster play this year. Like I said, there was no team Historic chemistry. lackluster play. Historic. It was. You say that, but he still finished third in points per game and right, but shots like that. But. I, and, uh, just his player, like his caliber, that was very low. Well, right, because some of those highlight reels that I was talking about are shots where he's like, he, he grew the, the name, uh, the nickname West Brick. Yep. <laughs> For bricks that he throws. And I, so, I, I mean, he dealt with a lot, but I still think something had to give. And when you try to usher in change in pro sports, you start with the head coaching position. Yeah, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think the the handling uh, Vogel had for Westbrook, I think I don't think that was right. Okay. I think the way he went about it yeah. was Westbrook would have aided that team if he had come off the bench. And the part of the problem with that though is that's 
one of those things you don't tell a player like Westbrook is, hey, we're going to have you come off the bench. I think that starting lineup just didn't benefit from a player of his style. Now, that being said, I think had he come off the bench, I think they'd be a dominant team because he's the kind of player he like the ball runs through him on offense. Right. And when he has when he's the main guy on offense, that's a an efficient offense. But you have another player like LeBron who needs the ball in his hand at all times, too. And that just it, it's like conflicting. It's like having two CEOs. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And to your point, too, there is like the whole chemistry side of things is really important. But I also I think that's a symptom of LeBron. Like he's pretty much never going to have the chemistry he once did with his original teams. It's just not going to happen. And I don't think I see the merit in firing him. And I understand that because I think his handling of Westbrook was not right. Right. Yep. But I don't think that was necessarily his entire fault. That's such a great point with the LeBron thing because it, LeBron, over the course of his career, has been the guy to run the offense. I don't, I don't know what there is to be said about Westbrook coming off the bench and if that would have changed things. I right. think you know just the manner of how he played this year, how there was no poise to his play, how there mm-hmm. was no rhythm, how there was a lack of athleticism. He still produced at an all right clip, but I mean, it was just some play that was so questioned. I mean, it looks like you and me playing mini basketball here yeah. in Tony G Studios. I mean, it was just shots that were not good shots that were kind of forced that once he had some open space, he decided that it was his moment to try to make a three. And it just looked forced. I mean, his whole play all year long just looked forced to me. And that's what I think I was trying to get at is I right. think he needed to find. Oh, so you're saying, and here's to connect the two, you're saying the solution to that would have been having him just come off the bench. Yes, because I think having that, maybe just having a group of people that he consistently played with, I think there was some stat that Anthony Davis was complaining about that they had more starting lineups than wins, which <laughs> is going to be the case for most teams that are performing bad. I th- you think for the one team who had who did not field a consistent starting lineup for more than... I, I, I saw some random stat that fed into that. It was like 36 different starting lineups, which was the most in NBA, but yeah. Right. Um, I think Westbrook just, yeah, to exactly. You hit it, you know, to its point. I think just having a consistent team that he comes off the bench with where, where he is the main guy and he's scoring, he doesn't need, need to hesitate Yeah. and to think, oh, is LeBron going to be open on this play or whatever it might be. I just, I think that hesitation came from having these players around him that he's not used to playing with. And so he seems a little bit more just hesitant with shots and that kind of just, that really hurt his game. I think long-term. Does this say anything about superstar teams that are being formed I hope in so. the NBA. <laughs> the fact that it doesn't work. Because Kevin Durant went to Golden State, won a championship, and mm-hmm. the Warriors were one of those powerhouse teams with Curry and Thompson and yep. Durant. And, you know, it was like LeBron goes to Cleveland and, or Miami and they have the big three. And then coming mm-hmm. back to Cleveland, they have great talent all over the place. And so everyone's like, oh, let's go out and start our own dream team type of get our big three and win a bunch of NBA championships. Is this saying that that might not be the case? You know, it's not as easy as it seems. I, Look at the Nets. Yeah, the Nets are another yeah. great example where, what did they finish? Like eighth in the Eastern Conference? and They're in the play-in tournament. Like, they are in the play-in tournament. Which is crazy to think. With the talent that they have. You can build the best team on paper, mm-hmm. and it might work in video games, but you have to have that chemistry and that poise yep. and that rhythm to your game on the court in the NBA, in real life, not video games, that will get you to produce and, and make deep runs into the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's, it all, you know, I, I just compare it to the Suns and the Bucks. I mean, they have players on those teams yep. that are very, very good at what they do. 
They are very good. They might not be super max contract type players, but they have this chemistry that allows them to play at a level that is so much further where they'd be on their own. And then you put players like LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, all all-stars and absolute studs. But you put them all together and it's like, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make music. Yeah. Where like the Suns, they have, you know, um, Chris Paul, who is an absolute wizard with the ball and he can fit it in wherever. It, it, his passing ability Paul. is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you got Devin Booker who can shoot it lights out. Um, DeAndre Ayton, a just absolute board cleaner. I mean, it's just a team that, makes beautiful music and, and they mesh mesh um their chemistry just it works really well they know the role and they feed yeah, into it exactly and they don't play anything besides their role and i think that's part of the reason why the lakers really lost out the thing that i don't i'm not really happy about and i want to hear your take on is how vogel found out he was fired i think that was a bit weird oh that was a uh yeah that's an interesting storyline to bring up because there was discussion about it sunday that he might get fired and before the game he said I don't know anything yet. I haven't been told anything yet. We're going to go out and try to win this last game of the season. I'm paraphrasing, of course. That's in part of what he said. Mm -hmm. Then he comes out uh, Sunday after the game. Hasn't been fired yet. I think Sunday night, news breaks that Vogel is fired. Vogel's done. Vogel's out. Monday morning, I think this news surfaces again, and Vogel is finally informed of it because I don't think he was informed on time. I think the Lakers made the decision that they're going to let Vogel go. The Lakers let some media know who spread that word. And then I don't think it ever got to Vogel until after the news had broke. I'm not, I'm not positive on how right. all that went. But it was a storyline that Vogel wasn't informed at a satisfying rate mm-hmm. that would, like I said, satisfy moral right. compasses. I mean, he should be the first to know. Yeah, he should be the first to know. Over anyone not. else. And. Here's the thing with Vogel is I think he's a good coach. I yeah. mean, he can go find another job oh, he if he will. wants it. He will. And he will. Yeah, I think he's a great coach, a guy who has a lot of knowledge and experience of the mm-hmm. game. I mean, this wasn't his first time as a head coach. No. I mean, he's done it before. So he has experience moving forward. He knows what it's like to coach this type of talent. And I think he's going to know the right way to field the winning roster no matter where he goes. Mm-hmm. Reports, early, early reports that I am seeing – for his replacement in Los Angeles is a possibility from Nick Nurse out of Toronto. I don't know that I like that. I think yeah. Nurse sticks around up there in uh, Canada. I don't think he comes to Los Angeles. I mean, I get it. It's like the Lakers, right? If if you have the opportunity to coach the Yank, the the Lakers or the Yankees or the mm-hmm. Dodgers or the Red Sox, you know, legendary organizations, you're going to jump at it. But Nick Nurse has it so well in Toronto. I mean, they're coming off of a championship run a few years ago. And it's it's just not the right situation for Nurse to leave to go to Los Angeles. If if I were a coach in the NBA, I'd stay f- as far away from LeBron as I could. That's fair. That also brings up the discussion of, do you want to coach LeBron or don't you want to I coach don't, LeBron? I, at this point in his career, I, there's no doubting. I am not saying that he is a bad player. He is one of the best, if not the best. We That's a discussion we're not going to have. Yeah, that's a discussion. He's top two. Yeah. All time, maybe top three if you include Kobe and MJ. Right. He's... One of the best. Yep. We'll leave it at that. Ever. But I think his, and I don't, we don't have it up, there was like five or six coaches that have been fired under him. And it's if anything goes wrong in a LeBron team, it's the coach first. Yeah. And it, after a while, you have to think, what else might there be playing into this? And I think just the attitude and, and how LeBron shapes his teammates, there's got to be something wrong there. There's got to be something wrong with the attitude that that team has that's 
it's not just these six coaches. There's something about LeBron that loses my respect. Same, and, and, and it's not anything that I can really point to. It's exactly. just that, like, the fact that bouncing around so much, I think the whole coach, there's not really a football player that I could think of. Just, just thinking for, in terms of comparisons, what football player, what quarterback has like gone through like seven coaches in their career? Not one at the level of LeBron. Right. Aaron Rodgers has gone through two. Tom Brady switched organizations. He's gone through two, going on three now with right. Bruce Arians retiring, but it's not like he got fired. Yeah. But I think with LeBron, it's just the facade of, like he's one of the best ever, and you can't yes. take that away from him. But just who he is, almost yeah. like it just kind of gets to, I mean, he seems like a family guy. I don't know that for sure because I don't know him. But yeah. It's, you know, there's occurrences where he's asked about books or he's at, he was just asked like what his favorite scene from the God, Godfather was or whatever. And like he can't answer him because he fakes that stuff. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't actually read and he doesn't actually pay attention to that pop culture feeling. And it's just like that type of inauthenticity gets to me at a level that I think needs to be talked about. I think that's where he loses some of his respect is the fact that he's like this inauthentic and kind of a facadish type player where no one like he just kind of makes his own stuff up. I mean it's ingenuine. It's in exactly. I mean it's like there's just some things that right. I can't get on the same page with LeBron. Yeah, it- it, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what would this conversation be like if he stuck with Cleveland for his entire career? Obviously, he'd probably win a lot less rings. A lot less. And then right. he comes out and he's like, what player do you want to play with? Oh, yeah, Steph Curry. That'd be great. It's like, dude, just stick to it. At some point, it gets so old. Yeah. It's just, it taints his career. It really does. I know he's got a lot of rings, and he's one of the best ever. But And he's not done yet, either. And he's not. And and he, he'll probably be in contention again at some point. And... Everyone's pointing out, well, the fact that he's 37 and he's still, you know, we're complaining about him not averaging what he was at 27. That's, I think that's beyond the point. And he is playing at a very high level for his he's age. He's in the MVP discussion again yes. this year. But at some point, you got to think there's something wrong with, or there's something that he does when he joins a team that causes everyone to assume that it's the coach's fault. Yeah. This could be another instance, and it's not—it's not LeBron's not a problem either. He's certainly a a benefit a benefit to somebody's team, but maybe LeBron's the type of player you want to come off have to come off your bench now. That might be kind of a hot take, but would the Le- LeBron be the worst six man in the world? Something has to change. The sun is starting to shine through the windows here in Tony G Studios, so from this nice weather we're having in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to Augusta National, the Masters, mm-hmm. and we have a new green jacket handed out. To one Mr. Scotty Scheffler, who shot 10 under, better than the 7 under of Rory McIlroy in second. This came, 10 under, came after a 4 putt on the 18th hole. You hear me? A 4 putt. I mean, that's something you and I do. You can tell that <laughs> that it was getting to him, uh, the fact that he was so close to getting a green jacket, and then he finally did do that. The story came out that he cried in the morning before the final round of the Masters, feeling a little overwhelmed that he was leading after three rounds. He was doing so good. The round three uh, round three wasn't as clean as he would have liked it to be. Mm-hmm. I think it was one under, but it's, it was still enough to him, and he was feeling so overwhelmed that he cried and still came out and won the Masters in that fourth and final round on Sunday. He gets a $2.7 million paycheck for that as well. Quite the hefty. It's Not to mention a nice, nice green jacket. Yeah, it's something that a lot of us won't even be able to fathom just like the monumental amount of pressure that 
an individual faces golfing in, in a situation like this. Yeah. It's not like you have a team you can lean back on. You know, there's not really much else you can blame but yourself. It's you and you. You you caddy, but it's you. Right. That's a lot of pressure to go through. I mean, I I can't even I really can't even imagine it. Tiger Woods, on the other scope of things, he finished 47th. Uh, kind of, I don't want to say underwhelming because mm-hmm. it's great that he's making strides like this, but it was just kind of, you know, people were, every time that he's going to play in a tournament, people are like, is he going to pull off this, like he did with the Masters a few years ago, where he's going to pull off this amazing round of golf or mm-hmm. string together a couple of amazing rounds of golf and be in the top five, top ten. And I don't think he's there at least yet or anymore. I mean, I think the, that stage is kind of done. But then again, I thought it was and when he won the Masters in, what was that, 2020? Right. So, I mean, like it happens. And, but he shot 13 over. Looked good for his return. I mean, mm-hmm. still still has a ceiling. But like I said, it's not as high as it once was. Um, and he said afterwards that he doesn't have the same endurance that he did to continue going through four rounds and, and golfing at a high rate because he was doing good through the first round, round and a half. And then things kind of started to spiral away from him. So, mm-hmm. you know, 14 months removed from a devastating car accident, single car car accident where he almost lost his leg to golfing at the majors, the highest, that's, like the pinnacle of golf. That's pretty incredible. It's ama- It's an amazing story to see. Yeah. And the fact that he has dealt with a lot injury-wise and still getting back to this point is something worth celebrating. So it's it was an incredible thing to watch and witness but uh, mm-hmm. you know scotty scheffler kind of was in control all the way through it wasn't very riveting you know that the entire especially the climax of the of the masters you know usually the fourth and final round on sunday is the most watched out of the four rounds with the first being second i think that it was still a fun masters to witness yeah. I, you know scotty scheffler won it but those birds at Augusta, <laughs> I just can't escape it because it's first ridiculous. round number one, you hear them. I mean, yeah. they're there, man. There's people on Twitter like, you know, like replying to tweets from Augusta, and it's like, all right, it's time to turn the birds down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, you know, turn off the speakers just yeah. for like a shot. But, and then there's people defending it like, oh, they have cameras in the trees. It's like, that's the exact point that we're making. It's yeah. like, yeah. we're okay with a little bit, right? But it gets to a point where it's a bit unnatural. (laughs) See, but you don't know that for sure. Nobody really does. I know. Well, it's probably pretty likely. But I want to ask you, because this is something that I've... I've heard people debating. Okay. How do you feel about people, like, kind of still doing the, yeah, Tiger, like, the the Tiger chant, and, you know, he's in 47th. Like, I mean, where do you stand on that? Do you think at some point you got to let that go? Or do you think he's just got so much momentum to his name and, and so much notoriety that it's just that's not something we'll ever really see stop? I heard something once that went like this. The legendary athletes, or legendary people, but we'll keep it to sports, are known by one name. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Jordan. Yep. LeBron. Brady. Giannis. Giannis. You know, I mean, you were going to be known by one name. Ruth, you know, Babe Ruth. Will. Babe, Ruth, the babe, Will, you know, McCormick, Christian. You know, you're going to be known by one name. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the thing with Tiger. Yeah. I say Tiger in a sports venue, and everybody knows who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Tiger has been the most watched golfer throughout the last two decades. He's one of the most watched athletes ever to grace the face of the earth. Yeah. Like, 
he was I, I knew he was and i'd like say i was like 10 years old i've never watched a round of golf <laughs> in my life when i was a kid but i knew who tiger was exactly so for that i think you know it's just guys showing their fandom mm-hmm. who can fault them I don't know. Some people are getting mad about it. So I was just Men wondering if you were in that. Golf is yeah. like majority, like watching that majority men. Yeah. But So that's both. just what it is. But both. Yeah. At the end of the day. All right. Well, I guess, and the, the Twitter poll said birds. the birds are piped in too, so. I put up that Twitter poll that said the birds at Augusta are real, fake piped in at Augusta, or piped in from the broadcast of CBS. Mm-hmm. And what took it was piped in from CBS. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the most realistic if if they are fake if they are i don't think we'll ever know though no maybe, maybe we should go hold we can pose as golfers at augusta and then we can like walk around and be like sherlock holmes and try to find some speakers in the trees what if we just like steal the luggage of two <laughs> golfers that are heading uh-huh to augusta and, and we just, like just be them we like change really quick in the bathroom go yeah. golf yeah yeah we should do that. I think we will. We uh, I'll accidentally air quotes around accidentally hit hit it into the trees. Then <laughs> we can go walk around. <laughs> yeah, accidentally will be for sure. Yeah. It's a nice day. I might get around in today. We'll see. We'll see. That'll do it for today's Tony G show. Cruising right along this season, Will. Mm-hmm. You will be out for our Easter edition yep. Thursday. Again, we've got a busy Thursday plan, so I don't know if that'll come out Thursday or Friday, but we'll get an episode in regardless. So that'll do it for the Tony G show. That's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. Reach out to us at TonyGNation.com. And other than that, we'll see you soon for the Tony G Show.